Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week as we continue our series in the book of Romans. We are in chapter 6 of the book of Romans in our study today, and this is actually the second segment we filmed on Romans the sixth chapter, and we trust you've been enjoying these, uh, this series. I think it's very powerful. Some of the things I want to say uh, during these segments, I think is probably some of the most important stuff that we're going to find in the book of Romans. As you know, if you've been following our teaching, is the first several chapters we deal with the diagnosis, and now we're deliver- dealing with the deliverance section of the book of Romans. And so a lot of people get stuck in the whole uh, you know, uh, the, the whole first part of the diagnosis. And when you pick and choose parts of the book of Romans without realizing that this is a letter to be read in one sitting, that you can get the whole flow of what is being said. So what Paul does is he does a masterful job of laying out, first of all, the problem, and then he begins to diagnose the problem of the human condition. Then he begins to give the diagnosis of it, and the deliverance of it, and then the manifestation of it is in the latter part of the book of Romans. And, and we're going to study this book because I think it's such a important book. But as we've come to the fifth chapter of Romans, like, like I told you last week, the fifth chapter of Romans, especially in the Message Bible, says it like this. One man did it wrong. He says, he says it like this. Here it is in a nutshell. One man did it wrong, and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, and another man did it right, and got us out of it. But more than just get us out of trouble, he got us into a life, a life that goes on and on and on, world without end. That's a powerful concept, is that the truth of grace is, it doesn't just come to get you out of trouble, it comes to get you into a life, the glorious life that God intended for humanity to live. Uh, The book of Deuteronomy says uh, He wanted to give them as the days of heaven on earth. And so that is God's intention for us. If God created a man in an absolute paradise in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, with everything he needed divinely supplied, where all he had to do was live out of the resource of trusting and drawing from Father God, then that would be look like that's what God's original intent was for us. But of course, you know, just like Romans, see, the book of Romans does, does, takes it clear back beyond just the covenant. I think this is important to mention. The book of Romans, especially chapter 5, takes it back and well, all through it, because he's including both Jew and Gentile here. But it takes it back, not just to the covenant God made with Israel and with Moses, but it takes it clear back to Adam. Because in chapter 5, he says, you know the dilemma of how Adam got us into all this trouble. The trouble we're in was a result of the sin of one man, and the redemption from it was the result of another man. And so what one was an old creation, and the other was a new creation. Now, if you're going to redeem and restore something, uh, you are going to have to see how it was before it got messed up, and we're going to talk about new creation. Now, let me read Romans 6, verse 1, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we will develop this a little bit further, because I got started to get into it last week, and then we just kind of ran out of time. 
But Romans 6 verse 1 says, so what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? Because he's talking about uh, this aggressive forgiveness we call grace. And what most, what a lot of people have done with grace is, well, God is aggressively forgiving. He's not holding my sins against me any longer. And so, you know, that, which is absolutely true. But the problem is it's not God holding your sin against you. It's the result of your sin that is robbing you of the glorious life that God wants for you. And so that's why Christian behavior is, is important in the new covenant is not because of how it affects God, but how it affects you and the people around you. And so you can see the outworking of that in the fall of Adam. One decision brought a whole lot of problems to the human family. Uh, what Jesus came to do was reverse what Adam did and bring us back into this glorious, uh, this glorious place with God where He could give us this incredible life that He's willed and purposed for us to start out with. But He's including not just uh, Jews here. He goes clear back to Adam. And so we're going to connect that creation, this whole idea of new creation, to how God went back to redeem us from the old creation. Because He didn't say, I'm going to make all new things. He said, I'm going to make all things new. That's Revelation 21. He said, behold, I make all things new. Write these words, for they are true and they are faithful. Now, I know we struggle with that, but the reality of it is, is that he didn't say, I came to give you a ticket to heaven and escape out of this mess. He said, I came to bring about new creation. And really, Revelation 21 is about the reuniting. Well, uh, I'll get into it a little bit more detail. It's about the reuniting or the marriage of the visible and the invisible, the human and the divine, the heaven and the earthly. It is God bringing them both back into, uh, into union, and that's what produces new creation. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more as we go through this a little bit. So he says here in verse number six, he sa- or verse number one, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the old country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That's the first thing we need to realize is we are not an old creation being behavior modification programs. See, that's what the law did. It was a behavior modification for an old creation. The new covenant and grace is not a behavior modification. It is a life transformation. It is regeneration. It is redemption and getting us a brand new nature as a brand new species as we are born from above and we are born again so that we can see the kingdom of God. But he goes on to say, we've packed up there and left there. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? That's why once you become a believer and you truly get born again, sin doesn't have the same appeal that it used to. People have gone back and tried to do some things that they were doing before they got saved and find out, hey, I'm not having fun anymore with this. It's not like I remember it was. That's because it's not your nature to sin anymore. You've got a new nature and it violates your nature. And that's why something in you is saying, this is not right. But let me just go on. He said, uh, or he said, how can you still live in your old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. 
And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace. A new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we were lowered into the water, it was like the burial of Jesus. When we were raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in the new grace sovereign country. So he begins to identify water baptism as the initiation or the birthing into this new world, this new creation project that God is doing in the earth. And so uh, we're going to talk about that a, a good bit in this, because I, I think, you know, there's, there's, there, there are people that can get the objective side of the gospel in Romans 5. One man did it wrong, got us in all this trouble with sin and death. Another man did it right and got us out of it. And they almost make it look like there's nothing or any response at all that you need to, to do in order to be able to receive. I'm not talking about achieve, I'm talking about receive. And so uh, my, my accepting, first of all, my first ex, uh, experience is to accept the salvation, not to earn it, but to receive this free gift of righteousness, this setting everything right that Jesus did in His death, and then identifying with Him through water baptism, signifying the death of an old creation and the emerging of a new creation coming forth up out of the water. And uh, what I did was I began to show you last week how when Jesus went down into the waters of baptism in Matthew chapter 3, when he comes straightway up out of the water, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And when it lighted on him, it, it signaled something to John the Baptist. Now what I think it signaled is that it was a repeat to me of what happened in the book of Genesis when God said, the end of all flesh is now come before me. In other words, I'm going to I'm going to remove man whom I've created off of the face of the earth, and I'm going to do it with a flood of water. But Noah, but Noah found grace. Got to stop and pause for a moment. Let you think about that. But Noah found grace. Noah's name means rest. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he's the eighth person from Adam, and that number eight is new creation. God had called a man by the name of Noah, who was the eighth man, the new creation, put grace, in, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He said, I want you to build an ark to the saving of your house. I want you to build a vehicle that will carry you out of this old world and carry you into a new world where the curse has been reversed. And so God said, I'm going to do that through the water. And so he tells Noah, he says, you need to go get some, uh, I believe it was shittim wood, and you're going to begin to build this ark. So the first thing you need if you're going to build a vehicle out of an old world dominated by sin is you're going to have to apply the tree. The tree to me speaks of the cross. Then God tells Noah, thou shalt pitch it within and without with pitch. And the word pitch it there is the Hebrew word kephar that we translate atonement. So we build an ark from the cross, the vehicle that we're building is Christ. He is the vehicle out of an old world dominated by sin and by the curse, and we're going to get in the thing that the judgment is about to fall on so that we are not escaping the judgment of God. 
We got everything we deserved when we were in Christ when He was on the cross. We were in Him, and His death was not just substitutionary in the sense that He died so I don't have to. He died because I had to, and the death of Jesus was not just the death of one man, it was the death of all men. And so He put us in this ark. He seals us in by the precious blood of Jesus. Remember, He said, Thou shalt pitch it within and without. That is the Hebrew word kephar that we translate atonement. So what makes this boat float is the precious blood of Jesus. Then He puts inside the ark animals of all kinds, clean and unclean. He puts us in this ark. He shuts the door. The rain falls. The judgment falls on the thing. And then there's a lot of details I could go into concerning the ark of Noah, but I'm after some particular points here. When the ark comes to rest, it lands in the seventh month during, I believe it is, between the, the, the Day of Atonement and the Feast of Tabernacles, which would be the seventh day, I think about the 21st day of the month. The ark comes to rest on a mountain called Ararat. The word Ararat means the curse has been reversed. When the ark comes to rest on the mountain called Ararat, where the curse has been reversed, Noah releases two birds from the ark, looking for God's new world. One of those birds is a dirty bird. It flies all the way through the Scripture and lands in the book of Revelation, where Babylon has become the hold of every foul spirit, the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. But the dove only has to fly to the book of Matthew, where it finds Jesus, the real ark, coming up out of the water of Jordan, and when the dove landed on Jesus, this dove was saying to John, right here is the beginning of the new creation world. Right here is God's new world. Right here is where the curse has been reversed and that he had found the olive branch that he was looking for because Jesus was God holding out his olive branch and inviting all that were standing on the bank of the Jordan River that day into God's new creation project as he says to them, if you repent, the kingdom of heaven is within your grasp. In other words, what you've been waiting on has now become available, and I think it is interesting that when Jesus comes up out of the waters of baptism as God's beginning of His new creation project, He begins to go into the wilderness for 40 days and comes down the mountain and preaches the Beatitudes, which is the constitution of the kingdom, and He starts teaching them the kind of stuff that can bring God's new world into this one. He starts telling them that you are blessed when you are a peacemaker. You are blessed when you are persecuted for righteousness sake. You are blessed when you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because that's what brings God's new world into this one, is when you become a peacemaker instead of a troublemaker. These become very practical ways of bringing God's new world into the circumstances and the situations that you are in at that very moment. And we may develop that a little bit further as we go through this series. But I wanted you to see that because he tells them that water baptism is that picture. When you come up out of the water, just Romans, just like Jesus did, you have left the old country where the curse is left behind, and you've entered God's new world, a new life into a new land. And I said it in the last segment, but I'll say it again. You have entered into Graceland, and Adam 
has left the building. And I, I want to give you this scripture as well because it's powerful. Uh, it, uh, it is a, a scripture that, that we're uh, in First Peter. This is First Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. It said, For Christ also has suffered once, hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also He went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Here's the verse I'm after. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us. So he's telling you that the ark of Noah is a picture of water baptism. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he's showing you that our baptism now is connected with not only the death of Jesus being when we went under the water, we recognize his death, but when we come up out of the water, we are a part of his resurrection. And when Jesus got back up from the dead, it was a significant marker in history that God's new creation project was well underway and that even death had been defeated, that Caesar is no longer king, but Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings, and he, can, he has even got the victory over death itself and is bringing us into a brand new world. And we enter that world according to this, even by our new birth. He goes on in the next verse, he said, who is going into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So the ark was a picture of water baptism. And so there's a whole lot of stuff that you could say. It was entering into God's new world and bringing forth His new creation. Now let me, uh, let me begin to, uh, let me get this as well. I want to go back in this verse. I shared this the other Sunday morning at my home church, but I think it's very vitally important. I sh I've shared this for years, but I think it's so uh, very important. But uh, I'm going to read it to you from the King James Version here. And uh, about verse number Six. It says, and God let, and God said, "Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters." And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Now let me just stop and unpack this. This is not deep or profound. But when God separated the waters from the waters. And he divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the waters that are under the firmament are in what we call oceans, seas, ponds, and rivers. I don't think that is a stretch at all to say that's the water that was under the firmament. The water that was above the firmament hanged in what we call clouds. It could have been a canopy back in those days, but nevertheless... It was above the beneath water so that there was a firmament or an expansion that divided the water from the water. So everything uh, that, uh, that was called the firmament, the firmament is between the above water and the beneath water so that we right now, I don't think this is a stretch at all, 
we are standing, I think anybody in any denomination would have to agree, we are standing in the firmament. We are between the above water and the beneath water. We are standing right now in the firmament. But look at the next verse. And God called the firmament heaven, capital H-E-A-V-E-N, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Now let me just tell you something. That's powerful to me. Because what he was telling you was in the original uh, uh, creation, before the fall, heaven and earth were in the same location. Heaven and earth were literally between the above water and the beneath water. Now, if you are going to redeem and restore, you are going to have to put it back like it was before it got messed up. In other words, if heaven was right here in this earth before, then something happened to mess it up. What happened was Adam became a gate of hell instead of a gate of heaven, and he began to release death and hell on the human family, just like Romans 5 just said. One man did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death. And so all of a sudden now, the heavens and the earth begin to be separate. And secondly, the heavens and the earth were located, and I believe that the creation itself was taking on the form of its keeper, Adam. And so when Adam fell, the earth begins to bring forth thorns and thistles, and death begins to take place, and the, the whole creation begins to go into a tailspin, or if you will, a black hole of an abyss. But the truth of it is, is that Jesus came to redeem and restore that. When you read the book of Revelation, it's almost as if it is in creation, in collapse, and then God bringing about His new creation, because the end of the book is God saying, I'm going to make all things new. It is the, uh, it is the marriage, if you will, the consummation of the heaven and the earth coming together once again. It is a marriage uh, of the Lamb, a marriage of the bride. There's so much here that's hard to explain, but literally it is the consummation of the heavens and the earth coming back together in God's fullness of His redemptive program. Now, I believe that's already underway. I think it began with Jesus in the first century. Somebody asked me recently, well, do you think uh, Revelation 21, the city of God, the bride, the Lamb's wife, is past, present, or future. I said, I think it's both. I think it's all of the above. I think God has delivered to us all things that pertain unto life and to godliness, but we've not seen objectively that walked out in the fullness of what He has planned. But nevertheless, what we need to understand is what God's God's project is to bring about new creation and get involved in that, because like I said, every time we bring Christian behavior into the right perspective according to Romans chapter 6, what we're doing is bringing God's new creation out of the realm of the invisible and back into the realm of manifestation and the visible where this life begins to manifest and blossom. We bring heaven and earth together. I think you could also look at it like this. You could see it like when God uh, created Adam. Uh, I can see the angels lean over the balconies of glory as God was taking a lump of red clay and shaping himself, his image, into the likeness of the dust. I can see Michael look at Gabriel and say, we're about to see what God would look like if he were visible. And God may have done it like a snow angel. He might have just made a divine impression. Nevertheless, uh, the, the Scripture said He was out of the earth and He was earthy. But see, God was not finished yet. About that split second of time, He wasn't just earth. God sucked His lungs full of a breath from spirit substance and came down and gave Adam mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, and heaven and earth connected in the man and then found its expression in the earth as God's keeper of the garden. 
And so Adam was the interface. He was the place where heaven and earth met together, where the human and the divine, the visible and the invisible come together so that Adam knew angels by their name. He walked with God in the cool of the day, yet he named the animals in the visible and the invisible, and the heavens and the earth were together in one location. When God got ready to redeem and restore he found a little virgin girl by the name of Mary, and he put the divine seed into a human, and the human and the divine came together once again in the person of Jesus Christ, so that Jesus Christ became the connecting, the interface, the place where heaven and earth were met together again. He became God's Bethel. And for hundreds of years after the fall of Adam, the only place God would meet with them was in the temple. It was in their Bethel, the house of God. And interestingly enough, that when he uh, was, uh, when I believe it was Jacob that wrestled with the angel, and he uh, named the place, uh, he said, this is Bethel, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven And he said, the angels of God ascended and descended on that ladder there. I think it is incredible that Jesus quotes that when he says to Nathanael, follow me, you're going to see greater things than this, because from henceforth you're going to see the angels of God ascend and descend on the Son of Man. What he's simply saying is the new Bethel, the new house of God, is not a place, it's a person, and it's Christ. He's the place where heaven and earth meet together. Now because we are in Christ, we are part of the tabernacle of God. We are God's new temple, and we are the place where heaven and earth meet together, and angels of God ascend and descend on the new Bethel. And so we are no longer a gate of hell, releasing death and hell on the planet. Now we have become... Oh, hallelujah, a gate of heaven. When you see Revelation chapter 21, it is the bride, the Lamb's wife. It is a people, not a place. It is the tabernacle of God that we are. I love how the Message Bible says that, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He said, Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He made His home with men. And I always tell people, property values just went up. Because when God moves in the neighborhood, He reconnects His interface. Heaven and earth begin to come back together. God is beginning to reverse the curse. And if we are in Christ, we are new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And once you realize that, and you've seen that through water baptism, you've entered the kingdom, now you start to embrace the Beatitudes and not the laws of Moses, because the Beatitudes was what Jesus brought down the mountain as the constitution of the kingdom, that when you start to live out of these attitudes that you need to be in, that's what a beatitude is, it produces the kingdom in you, first of all. The first part teaches you how to receive the kingdom, and the last part teaches you how to release the kingdom. When you realize I'm poor in spirit, you recognize your need for God. That's receiving the kingdom. When you get to the latter parts, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. You're releasing the kingdom, and God's new world begins to invade this world, and heaven and earth start to kiss each other again, and God begins to renew through His redemption project the earth again, as He saw in fit in Jesus Christ. When we come up out of the waters of baptism, we are new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Well, we're about to run out of time again. And uh, I would like for you to take a moment, if you would, to sow into the ministry. If you'd like to see this kind of a message, stay on the air. We do need your help. Uh, you can do by simply going to the website there. There's a place where you can give via PayPal. You can use your credit card or debit card there. 
and give an offering. You can call the number on the screen. Someone will take your call, or you can send a check or a money order uh, to the address on the screen to help us to do that. You can also become a monthly partner by just doing a monthly debit there if you'd like to do that. Do it today, though. God bless you for joining us. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.